This is episode number 84 with the founder and CEO of Lime Painting making his second appearance on the Path to Freedom podcast, my good friend, Nick Lopez. Let's go. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side. And I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often it's a one size fits all approach, but not with 919 marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now. Let's drop into the episode. Hey, what's up, Freedom Seekers? Welcome to another episode of the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm joined today by my good friend, Nick Lopez, who's making his second appearance on the Path to Freedom podcast, round two. For those of you that caught the first episode, you'll remember that Nick is the founder and CEO of Lime Painting Franchise. And when he joined me last, they were really just getting started in their franchising journey. They've come a long, long way since then. And I wanted to have Nick come back on and talk a little bit about what Lime Painting has accomplished since he first joined me on the show. I'm going to post a link to the first episode in the show notes for this one. So if you didn't catch that first episode with Nick, I would highly recommend that you do check it out. In this episode, Nick does give us a nice recap of the Lime Painting franchise opportunity, how they're different than the average painting business or the average painting franchise that's out there, how they have a very targeted niche market. 
yet a very scalable business opportunity. He also talks a lot about why Lime is one of the fastest growing home service franchises in the country today, how they're supporting their franchisees, and what type of franchisees they're looking for to continue to contribute to the success that they're having at Lime Painting. So enjoy this conversation with Nick Lopez of Lime Painting. Let's drop in. All right, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners? Excited to have the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Lopez, back on the Path to Freedom podcast. This is round two. So you were one of a, a very small, exclusive group of people, Nick, that have had the chance to come back on the podcast for a second time. So uh, that's pretty special. I know you have many, many accolades that you've acquired over the course of your life so far. This is just another accolade that you can tack up there with the rest of them. Um, in all seriousness, Nick, Let's thanks go. so much. Appreciate you dropping in with me, brother. How's it going? Ah, going great. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Let's always go. good. Always Let's good go. to talk with you, man. Let's go. Um, so you were on the podcast before. I didn't even look before to see when we put this episode out. It was probably at least a year ago, if not, if not longer ago than that. It was not that long after I'd started the podcast. I think you were you were one of the earlier guests that I had. And and great, great conversation that we had, right? So for those that haven't caught that first episode, we're going to post the link to that in the show notes, make it easy for you to find. I would highly encourage anyone to go back and listen to that first interview that I did with Nick, because Nick, you're the founder, you're the CEO of Lime Painting, which is a now a national franchise. When I had you on the show, you know, back in, it was sometime in early 2021, right? You guys were uh, at a very different point in franchising the business than you are today. And a lot of exciting things have happened. You guys have just been growing like crazy. Um, so that's why I wanted to have you come back on, share some updates with us, talk a little bit about where Lime has come, where Lime is going. Before we dive into all of that, though, because I know there are some people listening to this that haven't yet heard the, the first episode that we did. So Tell us a little bit about, you know, Lime Painting, high-level overview. What is the business? A little bit about the franchise opportunity. Give us the, the scoop quickly for those that, that are not familiar with it. Yeah, very simply, Lime is the first and only high-end paint company, uh, franchise company nationally. Uh, we take that uh, with the utmost honor. Um, and really, you know, I started my painting career uh, uh, you know, 13, 14 years ago, I was a freshman in college. Years just keep adding up. Less. I know, I know, man. I hit 35 uh, a couple months ago. I'm thinking about running for president. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> I would vote for you. Thank you. You'd have one vote. That makes like you and my mother. So I've got two votes. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, Good two is know. better than none. Two is better than but, none. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, I started in college and, you know, my my story starts with me just really being a broke college kid. And, you know, I wrestled at Michigan State my freshman year, was a preferred walk-on, and had looked at that being a way to pay for school, uh, you know, but it just wasn't reality. A scholarship was a, at least a couple years out. And mm -hmm. what was reality was out-of-state tuition. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's for real. <laughs> yep. So, you know, I'm from Denver, 
out of state at Michigan State. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was just, oh my goodness, you, you talk about just books, right? It's, you know, it's at least 500 bucks a semester. Yeah. Um, and here I was, you know, 18 years old. My parents said, hey, if you're going to school out of state, we're not going to help you out. So, you know, I definitely took a bet on myself. And uh, when I started that paint company, you know, I really looked at big houses, uh, you know, the bigger the house, the the more college bills and tuition it would help me pay. I had mm. no idea, you know, I was stumbling on our niche, uh, you know, just after being exposed to, uh, you know, that niche, it was clear that they wanted quality. They wanted to pay more to get more, but they just didn't have that option in the market. And, you know, I'm sitting in my business class learning about competitive advantage and, you know, that's when it really started clicking that, okay, this is, this is an opportunity. And, and now, you know, I always say, I never thought I would be a paint, uh, the owner of a paint company, right? But the opportunity, and clearly I found love with the business and our niche and everything about it. But um, at the end of the day, really what uh, motivated me uh, to bring this uh, value to the market beyond just East Lansing across the country, you know, was that pain point there? And um, really the opportunity and, uh, you know, you fast forward, you know, we had looked at 2020 as the year that we would expand and had no idea COVID was going to, you know, play a factor in 2020. Sure. Uh, you know, even back to when I started my career it was 2008, 2009, middle of the great recession. Mm -hmm. So there's something to do with me getting started or growing in these downtimes. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, if, um, if you hear and, if you hear Nick talk about he's got big plans to start something new in a year, know that there's probably going to be some sort of a uh, a global event, whether it's a recession or a pandemic or or whatever. So be on the lookout. Um, so so you guys and I love your story and and I, if I remember correctly, you know we talked quite a bit about your coming up story and and the other podcasts and it's. It's it's very inspiring, right? Because you did you started this in college. You were just trying to pay your way through college. You were you won't give yourself credit, but you were a very good wrestler. Um, so you know that's why you went to the links that you did to go to Michigan State, which has a great wrestling program. Um, but but you know, line painting was really born out of you know you figuring it out as you went, kind of, and, and you said you kind of stumbled onto this niche of painting higher end homes. Um, so why is that a niche? Why is there such a gap in the market for, you know, if I've got a multi-million dollar home, why is it harder for me to find a good painting company to come in and, and take care of it for me versus, you know, if I have, you know, more of just, I, I guess, an average home and I need to have it painted? Yeah, you know, I think it's just about positioning, right? And this goes back to my time in those lecture halls um, in college. And I'm learning about, you know, one of my business or marketing classes, learning about positioning, you know, if you're um, low cost and, you know, and high volume, uh, you know, low cost, low quality versus, you know, higher price, more quality, that's your lane. That's where you stay. Um, and from a consumer standpoint, it eliminates confusion in the market, right? Um but from a consumer standpoint, you know, what are you looking for? How is it differentiated? Well, you know, as a homeowner, if I own a high-end home or you know, that high-end home is going to have a high-end vehicle, I just went to a high-end restaurant this past weekend with some friends. Uh, as a high-end homeowner, that's the way that I 
consume everything, right? Yeah. And so when it comes to contracting, I'm trying to find a, a, a you know provider that can give me value the way that I like to get it in the marketplace. Um, but in contracting, it's tough to, to find that. And specifically in painting, it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I would imagine that a lot of where, you know, lime painting is able to differentiate yourself, especially in the consumer's eyes, it, I would guess it has more to do with the experience versus like, you know, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but you guys probably aren't using like some special proprietary paint that nobody has access to. And it's just, you know, that much higher quality of an actual paint. It's more to do with the experience, right? It's a professional business, right? And so when a high-end homeowner reaches out to you, they're getting what they would expect, right? They're connecting with someone on the phone when they call, right? You're showing up when you're supposed to show up. You're communicating with them in an efficient yet professional manner. And it's that entire experience along with quality work that in the eyes of a high-end homeowner says, yes, this is the company that I want to work with. And yes, I may pay more because they're professional, they're, they're sophisticated, and they do good quality work, but I'm okay with that because that's how I like to consume everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, something I'd add to that is, um, you know, you could even think of Uber, right? If you go to, uh, you know, pick up a, an Uber ride, you can click Uber black mm, and yeah. you're going to pay more, but you're going to get, you're going to, you expect a different vehicle to show up. You expect different service from the driver. Um, no and doubt. you expect to tip that driver. Yeah. It's a good example. That's a really good example. So, so I think the way you guys, cause I've worked with some folks that, that I've introduced to Lime and have actually gone on to, to become franchisees. You know, they, they felt it was the right, the right fit and the right opportunity for them. So, you know, one thing I've learned through, you know, working with these, these people is that I, I think the way you guys kind of look at your, your territory, right. Or the way that you look at, I guess, your target demographic is if I'm remembering correctly, you're kind of targeting the top 30% of homes based on home value in a given market. Is that, is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, you know, in LA, you know, that top third, the baseline, you know, it could start at 1.5 million. Yeah. Whereas in Boise, Idaho, it's 500,000. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which makes total sense, right? If you were to just say, Hey, you know, we, we work with homes that are valued at a million dollars or more, there's going to be some markets that have plenty of those homes. There's going to be other markets that are not, but you know, it's all relative, right? If you live in, you know, where I live, Wilmington, North Carolina, you know, we've got plenty of multi-million dollar houses. We're right on the coast, but you know, a high end, you can get into a very nice, beautiful high end custom home for, you know, 600, $750,000. And it's still going to be the type of client that's going to see value in what lime painting is providing. But one thing I also want to make sure I know we covered this in, in the previous episode that, that you did with us, but I want to make sure people listening understand this. While the name of the company is lime painting, and that's really, you know, how you guys got started. You've also learned over the years through working with these higher end homeowners that in many cases, they need more than just having a fresh coat of paint put on their house. So talk to us a little bit about some of the other services 
that Lime is in a position to provide because in my eyes, that's another big differentiator, especially if I'm you know, looking at potential business opportunities to invest in, no shortage of painting franchises out there, right? Um, so this is another area in my mind that Lime is very differentiated. Yeah, and it, it came down to just me standing in front of a client's house and accepting the fact that I didn't give them what our brand standard was, which was a quality job, mm. knowing what I knew. And what I knew was that uh, we painted their trim, uh, but the gutters that were leaking onto the trim were going to continue to leak onto the trim, which mm. you know is counterproductive when it comes to maintaining paint. They're going to be uh, back in the same spot pretty, pretty quickly, I would imagine. Yeah. But the paint looked great, right? We yeah. use great products, great prep, uh, everything we spoke to about the experience. But as I walked away, I not only seen the gutters that were leaking onto the freshly painted trim, but I could see that the windows on the house, the manufactured doors and windows, they were faded and chalked, mm. right? The, the rich color wasn't there and there's a film on it now. And, not, and that's a byproduct of the sun and the water, right? It's deterioration. Well, those seals start to break. You know, on the homes that we're talking about, those windows to replace them are, what, at least 150K, most of the time 300K, right? For a million dollar home plus, um, it, it's a big, that's a big asset that's just exposed to the elements because it's not being protected, essentially maintained. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I continue to look at the property and the stucco has cracks in it. Right. And the, and the cracks are from water damage. Right. That's okay. what water is going to do to stucco. It's kind of like the Grand Canyon effect. That's what we call it. You know, it yeah, starts yeah. small and it gets longer, wider over mm -hmm. time. And you could actually pair it up. You'll see a correlation between where water prone areas are and where these cracks are starting. And, you know, you can trace it all the way. You'll start to, to see those correlations between the damage and where you have more water prone areas. This is a part of the consultation that we're doing with our clients. We're training their eye. We're helping them understand how their home works. They just look at it as being old, right? So every time they drive into their driveway, there's a stamped concrete driveway and that clear coat that's on there, it's designed to protect that, that surface from sun and water damage, but that clear coat wears off. Mm -hmm. And once it's, once it's worn off, then the pores of the concrete start to absorb water. And much like the stucco, they crack. Same effect, Grand Canyon effect. Uh, but now that stamped concrete driveway, I mean, how much is that worth? You know, at least a hundred grand. Um, and yet the face is deteriorating really just because it doesn't have a protective layer, a maintenance item. Yeah. You know, a lot, you know, whether it's a builder or someone that installs your driveway a lot of the times these contractors are great general contractors, construction companies. We work with them all the time. They built these beautiful homes, but they really just do the initial install. They don't do the ongoing maintenance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We hear from our clients so many times they say, you can't coat stucco. Our, our stucco guy said that we just need to redo it in, you know, five years. Well, yeah, that's, that's beneficial to that contractor. But the reality is, you know, there's coatings that go on, the stucco, and this is to my point, right? It's it's beyond just paint. There's yeah. the stucco, the masonry, the metal. Uh, on these high-end properties, uh, there's a lot of surfaces that make up the property, and each one is a maintenance item, and each one deteriorates. Um, and so we look at paint as a type of coating. 
And if, and if you speed it up one more step, it's like, okay, well, how are we going to do the job right? Well, we have to restore the stucco first. We can't just put a coating on it. We need to do the carpentry. We can't just paint it. Uh, mm. Maybe do some tuck pointing before we do any work to a masonry surface. So, um, you know, what we do beyond just painting is, you know, we really do painting coatings, which remember paint is an extension yep. of coatings. And then uh, we do surface restoration. So we want to do the job right. So first we're going to repair the surface and then coat it. Uh, but that homeowner, they have the discretionary income to maintain hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of assets. Um, and, and so when we send them a proposal and they have a quote for the painting and the competition has quotes for the painting, well, now the competition saying, hey, you need to call the gutter guy and you yeah. need to call the stamp concrete guy. And um, we don't do door restoration, and but we'll give you a quote for the painting. Right. And that, so the homeowner doesn't have that sort of time. Uh, uh, time is to... their time is their most valuable asset. Right. So you guys are positioned to be a one stop shop for these high end homeowners. And, and it sounds to me that, you know, your your process. Right. When someone from line painting goes out to meet with with a homeowner, with a prospective client. It's a very consultative process, right? You're doing a lot of educating to them. Like, sure, we can come and put fresh coats of paint on everything, but you know, these are other things that we would recommend you have us look at, and here's why. And once they understand that, it all kind of starts to make sense. And to your point, you know, these high-end homes, they're they're huge assets for people, right? I mean, they're they're very high dollar assets, in some cases, probably one of the most valuable assets that, that, you know, this client owns, and, and they have the discretionary income to say, yeah, let's, let's spend a little bit of money now to maintain so that we don't have to spend huge sums of money, two to three to five years down the road to redo it all. And then you're giving them a one stop shop to do it. And, and so when I understood that, that that made a lot of sense to me. And that's where the light bulb went off for me that, hey, this is not just another painting franchise. This is something very, very different. Um, so and the other thing is, right, I mean, just from an aesthetic standpoint, right, I, I, I would imagine if you come in and, you know, paint a home and you've got beautiful trim and, and the, the, the paint looks great, but it probably if you don't do some of these other things, it probably just highlights even more the things that are not fresh right if the stucco's kind of faded or or you know the gutters are are dirty and kind of lopsided or whatever like that fresh coat of paint's just going to highlight even more the areas of the house that haven't been maintained and haven't been been updated so there's an aesthetic component to this as well yeah and um you know a lot of times the clients don't even know the aesthetic component right it's much like me standing in front of the house a fresh paint job on the trim but realizing there are a lot of other surfaces that are deteriorating and it's pretty silly to just have a fresh coat of paint. Um, so once we train the, the homeowner, how to look at their home, how it works, what the solutions are, uh, yeah, there's no going back after that, right? Mm -hmm. If they just painted the trim that it's, it's not, it's, that's not going to be good enough. So, so walk us through, you know, what does this look like if you own a lime painting franchise, right? Because I know how people think I own service-based franchises. 
you know, people here. So, so, and I think I've seen this, you know, somewhere in some of your, your literature. I mean, what is it like 30 some different services that, that you're able to offer a potential client? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 40, like 40 that. different services, 40 yeah. different services. Right. So we've, we've established why that makes all the sense in the world for a homeowner. Um, how, how does a franchise owner put themselves in a position to have a business that can offer all of these different services and do it while providing a great experience and good quality for the clients. Because I know people get freaked out when they think about having to go and hire uh, all of these people that have all the different skill sets to, to provide all of these different services. So what does the line model look like in that regard? And, and how do you guys help your new franchisees make sure they're actually able to, to offer these services to their clients? Yeah, I'd say, first of all, none of our franchise partners, uh, really even our sales teams that we build, uh, you know, that we hire and staff um, on a franchise location level, no one has experience in painting uh, or contracting most of the time. I mean, that's, that's uh, usually not the norm. And that's a good thing. They can learn our process, our systems. Uh, Another thing I would say is uh, you can look at subcontracting and cleaners, labor force, and clearly that is going to be an area that you have questions around. Okay, can I get my hands around this? Right? Yeah. Um, well, the market is just saturated with paint companies. Um, there are plenty of painters. The where we win is uh, our demographic. Our demographic, our high end niche. The fact that we charge more to provide more uh, allows us to recruit artisans. And we don't need a lot of artisans. We're not staffing the employees. We're hiring one subcontractor who staffs his own employees, has his own equipment, um, manages his own company. We outsource the labor. Really, we handle customer service, quality control of that outsourced labor, yeah. uh, the experience. And um, But if you're looking at how many subcontractors do I need, right? So I'll give you an example, our Denver location, um, which if you're wanting to know more information, you can see it in our item team. Uh, but this is our founding location. You know, each location, a couple of them in Denver, a uh, million dollars. How many subs do we need, right, for a $2 million business? Um, you need 10, right? So we, we have a rule of thumb. One sub does 200,000 in production. One sub that has their own crew, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so roughly, yep. so I, I love that, right? It's, it's benchmarks marks that you can look at. Cause I know, I know how people think, right. And, and for so many people, it's the, the recruiting and retaining piece of any business that, that gets a little bit scary, right? Um, so, so being able to break it down that way to say, Hey, if you have, uh, you know, one, one sub and their crew, they should be able to help you generate $200,000 a year in revenue. And then you can just kind of do the math of what does that look like at scale, right? So if you want to be at a million dollars a year, you need five subs to get to, to 2 million, you need 10. Um, I think that really helps people wrap their head around, you know, what does this thing look like and, and how do I scale? 
So what would you say to the person out there that the idea of working with subcontractors um, is, is a little bit scary, right? You know, how am I going to make sure that these subcontractors that are not employees are providing the quality service and the quality of work that I would expect as the business owner? Yeah, we, we, we don't want any subcontractor. We want subcontractors that fit our model. Yeah. Generally, they have one or two helpers and the subcontractors involved in their business. They're the guy on the ladder. They're the lead guy or gal. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because one of, one of the businesses I own, we only use subcontractors. We don't have a single you know, W-2 employee in that business. And, and that, if you have the right person for your business that's a subcontractor, it works beautifully because you need them and they need you. Most of these, I like the term you used, artisans, they love their craft. They're great at their craft. What they don't like doing, and in many cases, what they are not as good at doing is the sales and marketing piece, right? They don't know how to go out and, and get in front of the right types of clients. They don't like running around giving estimates and then trying to win the business or do the follow-up that may be necessary to win the business. And so you're doing all of that and you're just putting revenue generating jobs on their calendar, allowing them to focus on what they do best and what they like to do. So, you know, when it's done right, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And, and to your point, you know, we're not talking that you need 40, 50, you know, 100 subcontractors to build this thing out into a substantial business. And, and I would venture to say, I think I've saw, I, this may be in your FDD too, but I, I think I'd seen that your, your average job or your average project amount across the Lime system is somewhere north of $10,000. Am, am I getting that correct? Yep. And yeah, it's I, three I, times higher. Yep. Right. Yeah. So average. that's what I was getting at. So it's like three times higher than the industry average, right? So industry average may be like 3,000. So I would guess for good quality subcontractors, that's beneficial to them too, right? They can do less work and make more money. Um, so it's, it's more incentive for them to keep working with you and be available when you need them versus saying, Hey, I'm going to bounce around here and do three times the number of jobs just to make the same amount. You know, I'm going to make doing one job with, with lime painting. So, and, and I know through experience, you guys have good systems and processes in place to help a new franchise owner start lining up and vetting potential subcontractors. You're not leaving that entirely up to the franchise owner saying, Hey, you know, good luck finding some, some, some subcontractors, let us know how it's going. You've got people in your, your home office that are actually helping your newer franchisees on this piece. Yeah. Under the extent going into their market and boarding franchise or that initial subcontractor, right? So training leading up to it and then actually going into the market and utilizing some of our partners uh, to give us the, the subcontractors that we're looking for um, right out of the gate. Uh, you know, we're looking for a particular type of sub. Why? Because they're on the ladder and benefit from all the things that you mentioned. And as a result, we don't need to have the storage and training and recruiting. Um, rather, we can focus on acquiring projects from homeowners that are willing to pay for artisans. And we can go out much like Uber Black and pair up homeowners in the market with, 
you know, better quality painters and then have, um, you know, the customer service and the quality control to give the, the homeowner the peace of mind. Yeah. Love it. So quickly to recap, and then I want to shift gears a little bit, right? So the, the business model is set up to be a relatively low initial investment to get this business up and running. You don't need a lot of direct employees. I think, you know, to start assuming the owner's not going to be doing the sales themselves, which is an option, but assuming the owner's not going to be doing the sales themselves, you need a sales guy and you need, uh, I think you call it a, a production manager or a project coordinator, something along mm -hmm. this. So that's someone that's that's working with the client and the subcontractors to make sure that the experience is smooth and that it's it's good quality a all the way to Z. And that's kind of what you need to start, right? You don't need a physical location, maybe a truck that's that's wrapped with the company logo. So this is a relatively low initial investment it's designed to be a low overhead business, yet very, very scalable. And I know we don't have to get into any specific numbers, especially if they're not in an FDD. We'll make sure we're, we're not, not do, doing anything we shouldn't be doing. But I mean, I've heard just through examples, you've got some franchisees that are in their first year, their second year that, that are really scaling this business out and really putting up some impressive numbers. And, and something I'll point out for, for those out there listening, I'm a huge, huge fan of businesses like this where you have an, a higher average ticket and in a still very low overhead business, right? If you're looking for a business that has the ability to ramp up quickly, something with a high average ticket is great, right? I've got one, one franchise where our average job is about $7,000. I've got another one where our average job is about $1,500, right? That franchise where our average job is $7,000, man, it, it, it blows my mind. We'll have days where we generate $30,000 in revenue in one day, right? Because we had three salespeople go out and they all sold a job and boom, right? So in these types of models, and there's obviously there's no guarantees, right? It's up to the franchise owner and their team to execute, but the, the potential is there. You know, you could literally do 50, 60, $70,000 in revenue in your first month in business because you don't need to sell that many jobs to get there, right? So I, I love business models like this. You already mentioned the fact that most of your franchise owners, you know, are not painters. They don't have construction industry or, or a background in that. Uh, I know both of the people that that I've introduced to Lime that have gone on to become franchise owners are, are planning to keep their full-time jobs in the beginning, right? They're hiring a salesperson, they're hiring a, uh, a project manager, and, and their plan is to keep their, their full-time job. They see enough potential to scale the business to the point where they can leave their job at some point, but, but for the time being, they're planning on staying. So that option is there with a model like Lime, you're looking for business people that, you know, know how to build and manage a team that, you know, want to get involved in a business where, you know, there's a clearly defined niche, uh, a higher end demographic. And I think the way I've kind of come to think about Lime painting is it's really a sales and marketing machine, um, you know, for these services, for these higher end homeowners, right? You're subbing out the labor, you know, you're still making sure it's a great experience for the clients all the way through. But I, I think that's a good way for someone that's looking at this as a potential business opportunity to think about it, right? Because I think a lot of times 
you know, you're talking to someone about business opportunities and you throw out something that's got painting in the name and they picture themselves on a ladder painting in a house and they're like, screw that. I don't want to do that. That sounds miserable. Well, that's that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the owner's role. If they're on a ladder painting a house, they're not following the system or the model at all. (laughs) Right. Not at all. Yeah. Different business. Yeah. Yeah. So I know and I know we covered a lot of this, too. I've learned a lot more about lime painting since since you and I recorded that first podcast. So I'm glad that we recapped some of that. I definitely encourage everyone again, go back and listen to the first episode I did with Nick. Shifting gears a little bit, right? We're recording this in February of 2022. You know, I think you mentioned earlier, it was like August of 2020 when you guys were really in a position to kind of step on the gas in terms of franchise development and adding new franchisees. So give us kind of a snapshot. Where is Lime Painting today because it's it's impressive you know how far you guys have come over the last year and a half or so yeah uh, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning right august uh 2020 seven locations and uh yep to date coming up on 70 um, I, my wife told me i have to stop rounding up so we're currently at 66 not <laughs> 70 <laughs> I, I i call it 70 dude <laughs> yeah me too um but yeah, so that's that's been the growth. And oh my gosh, you know, for me, one of the most exciting parts of that growth has been the fact that our leadership support team is just compounded, you know, relative to uh, the growth. And a team just means more stuff gets done, right? Yeah. More value, more support, more training, more everything. Give, give us some examples of that. Give us some examples of how the leadership team and, and all of the support people and all of the support mechanisms, you know, that you've built out at Lime Painting, give us some examples of how they've evolved over the last year and a half to support all of this growth. Hmm. Um, well, I, I think, you know, one of the most important parts of the business is the ops. Who's training me? Mm. Yeah. Right. Who's, who's coming out and field? Are they qualified? Have they done the business? You know, back, you know, our last time talking, our uh, success coach, who's going out in the field, uh, he had a successful tenure in Denver at our corporate location, um, but now he's set up 35 locations, and you know he's he's proven success along the way of of generating sales, getting uh, subcontract teams and sales teams built for our owners, um, and has worked himself into a VP of Ops role. So now what he's doing is, which we didn't have before, is um, just full-time remote coaching around KPIs and accountability and support plans for our owners, every single owner down to their, their teams, um, you know, having different plans uh, to get them through stages. Uh, You know, we've, we've uh, taken our launch process, broke it down to five, five stages. So now when you launch, you just go through five stages with, with uh, coupled up certifications and milestones for KPIs. Uh, and, and it's a process and steps um, where you have a coach uh, remotely that is taking you and your team, your GM through that, through those steps. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, now, you know, we have a, a new success coach who much like our VP of ops, uh, you know, had a lot of success in our Denver location. Um, you know, so you've, you're compounding there on the support from an operation standpoint. Uh, but it's become a lot more dynamic 
uh, all the way to the to the extent to as a team, you know, we have a dashboard of our owners every stage they're in, uh, you know, whether they're trending up, trending down, uh, what what tier of performer and all the way down to personality types. And you might think that's kind of crazy, but um, for us, it's important to, to have a lot of those metrics in week by week updates. Um, and as a leadership team, have those rhythms of meeting weekly so that uh, we're never uh, you know, not speaking the same language to the owners that we're supporting. Yeah, it's huge, right? I mean, scaling the support up to support just simply having more franchise owners is huge. Um, but but having those regular meetings with your your team in the home office, the people supporting the franchisees, making sure you're all on the same page. I like how you said it, speaking the same language to the franchisees. That's huge, man, because I can tell you, I mean, we've we've opened two franchise businesses at this point, and one of them it's still a great business, right? But what you're talking about was, was an issue, right? You talk to one person that's, that's supporting you or training you in one area of the business and they're using different terminology. They're talking about different things. They're clearly not on the same page with the person over here that's training you or supporting you in a different area of the business. When you're, when you're new, right? When you're a new owner trying to get a business up and running, you got a ton of stuff going on. That's confusing, right? (laughs) And, and, you know, the people supporting you probably don't realize that they are confusing you. So I, I think that's huge. I love that you guys are focused on that and, and being intentional with that. Um, so, Wes, I mean, before what, we move on there, yeah, it's just, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm new to a business. Like, where do I start? What do I do? How does it get mapped out? You know, when do I start working with the ops team? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I prepare for grand opening? You, know, you talk about the the evolution of our team. You know, we have one guy assigned. You know, he wears the hat of onboarding specialist, right? Yeah. And he helps our owners with building their teams, all the done for you ads, managing the listings, the screenings, um, even all the way down to giving you your final candidates for you to then sit down, hire, make the final decisions. That's a much more robust form of support when it's needed. Um, but what standard is, you know, Johnny being there to map out every step of the grand opening checklist. That's what we call it. Every step that you need to do before you open day one. Um, But a liaison that gives you that peace of mind and confidence where, okay, I can just focus on executing. Uh, Well, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and also like from, from the franchise owner's perspective, having that single point of contact that, that, you know, you can go to with any questions. And even if that person doesn't have the answer, to every question you may have for them. It's that one person that can point you in the right direction or get you connected with the person that does have the answer. Cause again, I've been there on two different brands, two different ways of doing it. The one where we had one clearly defined point of contact that was our onboarding specialist. She didn't have all the answers. I didn't expect her to have all the answers, but she was my phone call. I didn't have to you know, like pull up a directory and be like, all right, who do I call for this? My question, it's kind of HR, but it's kind of marketing. I, I don't know. And you end up making three or four phone calls or or just never getting to it. So yeah, that that part's all huge. And it's really cool to hear, you know, how your team has evolved and, you know, how you've got some of these roles today that, that were not maybe, uh, you know, a role by itself before, you know, you probably had someone that, that handled that, but they had other responsibilities. They were wearing other hats. 
how how has your life changed? What what is your yeah? That was you wearing a lot of the hats for a long time. I know. Um, so so how is your life different today? Uh, you know, seventy almost seventy locations um, compared to a year and a half ago, uh, or you know, back when you had just seven franchise locations. Yeah, I'm working on the franchise, not in it. I mean, yeah. that is the biggest difference. Um, and we fully integrate, we fully uh, implemented a program called EOS. Um, I don't know if you've heard of book Traction by Gina Wickman, but it's an operating system for, you know, as your business is scaling, especially nationally, uh, you know, I, I wear the hat, you know, in, in Traction EOS, there's, um, you know, the, the leadership team. I wear the hat of the visionary. Our VP of infrastructure wears our integrator hat. Yep. And then we actually outsourced uh, an implementer from EOS. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wear, I wear really just that visionary strategic hat. Um, and that is just provided, you know, what, what uh, Gina Wickman calls rocket fuel. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's showing in the results, right. And, and the coolest thing is, I mean, you guys are just getting started, right. I mean, out of these, and I guess maybe it's worth kind of defining or clarifying you know, lime painting service-based company, right? So, you know, when, when you say location, that equals a territory, correct? Yeah. Right. So, so essentially when you buy into a service-based franchise, you're, you're buying territories and those are usually, I think Lime has done this way, they're protected territories. So it means you own it. You're not going to have another franchisee from the same brand, you know, operating in your territory alongside of you. So, so when you say 70 or approaching 70 locations, that's 70 territories, how, how many actual unique franchise owners does that equate to? Because I, I would imagine a lot of people are coming in and securing multiple territories because they just want more, more market share to be able to develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we have uh, 31 owners. Yeah, okay. Probably average is two or three. Three, yeah. two or three territories yep, per exactly. owner, somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. So where's Lime going from here? You're the visionary. Um, what's, what's the vision, man? Where, where do you see this thing being this time next year? Where do you see this thing being 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, end of this year, I've had a hundred locations on my phone as a screensaver since 2015. So, um, you know, knocking down, knocking on the door to, uh, oh, you're gonna hit that this year, dude. Yeah. No um, yeah. Looking to be, you know, around 120 locations by the end of the year, and uh, yeah, just yeah, at this point, I was just talking to our leadership team about it. Um, at this point, it's just about being consistent with the level of effort, um, the, the sophistication around the effort. You can only get one percent better every day, right? But my gosh, you keep stacking those days. It's hard for me to say where we're going to be. I, I really like to focus on on the work, right? The work is the results. Um, but I, I do have a, some confidence around the end of this year, you know, 120 locations. But the growth mentality, I mean, that's that's Lyme. Um, you know, continue to grow at the rate that we're at. Um, you know, um, board as many locations as we can to to partners that we know are are uh, going to be a great fit within our system and have our, our culture. And, yeah. um, you know, those things are definitely important. We want to grow in a way that continues to give, you know, our brand really neat, talented 
owners, I mean, you, you, know, you just go through the validation process. It's, I've been told, um, I haven't gone through it, but it's, uh, it's real. Um, it's, yeah. it's genuine. Yeah. And, uh, the, the culture is definitely one of the, uh, best parts of, of what I do, what I get to do, what we do at Lime. Uh, yeah, that love, integrity, mission, excellence, it's, uh, definitely come to life at Lime. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen it, right. I mean, as I've mentioned, I've worked with people that, that have looked at Lime. I've worked with people that, you know, are now franchise owners with Lime. One guy in particular, he's, he's been looking at researching different franchise companies for like six years at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, there were some life events that happened to move, uh, you know, change in, in jobs and stuff like that. So it wasn't necessarily like, you know, a consistent search for six years. The point is the guy's seen a lot of different franchises, talked to a lot of different franchise owners. Culture was very important to him as it should be. I remember getting a phone call from him after he did his first validation call with a Lime franchise owner. And he's like, Wes, this feels really good. He's like, but I have, as he's like, there's only one person. I have a feeling they just put their best person out there. And it's like, I don't have as high of expectations for, you know, the others. And I talked to him like a week later and he's like another validation call, another awesome story, awesome, you know, success that I'm hearing. He's like, I can, I'm really getting a good feel for the culture you know, the types of people that are, that are franchise owners in this brand seem to really resonate. Long story short, I mean, he probably talked to, you know, eight to 10 different franchise owners at least. And, and the story never changed. Right. I mean, just couldn't be happier with what he was hearing from the, the owners that were already out there operating. Couldn't have felt it was a better fit from a cultural standpoint. And, and that's what you want to hear, man. I mean, being in your shoes, I can only imagine if, if that's what I'm hearing, uh, that people are talking to my franchise owners and they're getting, you know, great feedback and it's not, you know, it's not BS, right. It's not, Oh, this is, this business is easy. You don't have to do anything. And it's just going to start putting money in your mailbox. It's, it's real life, right? It's, these are the challenges, but these, this is the support that we get. This is how we work through the challenges. It's all of that. And, and, you know, people I've worked with have gotten nothing but, but good feedback from, from your franchise owners. So I think that's a testament to, you know, what you've built, what you are building. Um, and, and something I want to make sure we hit on too, is I know something that's very important to you is, you know, giving back. Right. And, and so, you know, that's something that you talk a lot with your franchise owners about, um, you know, that's, that's part of the culture that you're intentionally building here, but, you know, you guys actually have some programs that you've set up, you know, with Lime that your franchisees can participate in to give back to the communities that you're, you're serving. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'd love to share what we're doing in Denver, right? Okay. So I, I own Denver, it's a corporate location. Um, but keep in mind it's year nine. So, you know, you're two, three, four, uh, could be different forms of give backs, but sure, you know, sure. this year we're, we're hosting a golf outing. We're going to have a hundred people there looking to raise a hundred grand here in the Denver market. Uh, we're partnering with uh, the, the organization is limelight outreach. That is our organization. Okay. Um, but the partnership that we're um, going under is with a group that focuses on uh, children of single mothers mm. Um so, you know, just such an impactful 
cause and yes. um, they're, they're local to our market. And, you know, so we're, we're going to, um, you know, put the invites out there to not only our customers, but in our circles, partners, and a uh, hundred grand is, is on, uh, uh, that's our target this year. So looking to go big. I love it. I love it, man. That's, yeah. that's so cool. And, and I mean, we've, we've had a chance to do some of, some of that type of stuff, you know, in our local area through the franchises that we own. And I, you know, I'd be lying if I told you we got into business for ourselves because we wanted to be able to give back to the community. We got into business for ourselves because we were tired of working for other people and, and we wanted to, you know, essentially put ourselves in a position where we controlled our destiny, right? A very pleasant benefit of doing that that now we're very, very passionate about. My wife and I is finding ways to, to give back to the community through our businesses and, and share some of the success that we've had with our businesses with others, you know, others that have a need. I love the calls that, that you guys are, um, you know, focused on with, with your organization. Uh, I think it's a very important cause. But yeah, it's, it's something that I think people should be thinking about, right, is, you know, we all get in business to make money. That's a part of it, right? If the business isn't making money, the business can't survive, meaning you can't continue to employ people. You can't continue to serve your clients, but, you know, having some of these other causes that you can get involved in. So, so is the limelight outreach, is that something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not something that you're going to require franchisees to, you know, participate in or roll out in their markets, but as part of the vision, you know, something that your franchisees would have the ability if they wanted to, to, to put on similar types of events and try to, you know, contribute to, to similar causes in their respective markets. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it goes to, um, you know, if you have a high performance culture, it only goes so far results and getting after it. Right. I mean, that's just the standard you know, how you go about it is really what we're focused on at Lime, right? So love, integrity, mission, excellence. The mission piece is the give back. Mm. Um, you know, our teams, Denver team, they design the whole campaign. They pick the, the organization, all of it, and they're fired up about it. They're going to go out into the market, talk to our clients about it, talk to friends, family partners about it. Uh, this is a team thing, right? And, yeah. and they have championed it. And uh, that's, that's just a way about going about the business, but yeah, you're one, two, three, this is definitely something that, you know, as your business matures over those first few years, yeah, it's a perk, right? It's a yeah. built-in perk into the business, but not only is it selfishly, you know, for those that care about that, um, like myself, but you talk about PR and earned media and just oh, the halo, sure. the halo effect of your brand and what you do in the market and, you talk about best places to work and you know, it has so many different benefits that, yeah, you can't quantify, but I think it's like 16%, 1600% better. That is what a cause-based organization, that's how they perform compared to their counterparts. Wow. Uh, especially more and more into the, into the society culture, we're moving into the, the generations mm. that are coming up and really, you know, are the, are becoming the main consumers. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to, you know, it's, it's more of a way of doing business. It will become more of a way of doing business. Oh, no. Yeah, no doubt about it. Right. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying it's the reason to, you know, get involved in things like this, but if you're doing it, it is going to, 
create awareness for your business, right? Um, I mean, last time we did something, we got involved with a food drive. Um, it was back, you know, during COVID when schools were shut down. And so there was a big food drive to, you know, help kids that were relying on, you know, school lunches and stuff. And because they weren't in school, that wasn't there. Um, yeah. but, I mean, news crews were out there. We were on the radio. We were on the news. <laughs> I mean, we didn't we didn't know that was going to be part of it until we were already involved and committed. But it was definitely a perk. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. definitely nice. Our name was getting out there. So it's, you know, it's do good by doing good, right? Um, love it. Love what you're doing, man. Love how you've built Lime up to this, this point. Like I said, you know, I've had a chance to get to know you better, learn the business better since I first had you on the podcast. So I was excited to have you come on again, you know, share some of the success that you've had. I'm a huge fan. Um, this is a great business opportunity. Like any franchise business out there, this is not going to be the right franchise opportunity for every single person that listens to this podcast or has an interest in getting into a franchise but this is a heck of an opportunity it's a well-built company as you can hear from listening to lick nick solid solid leadership uh at the helm so nick man keep doing what you're doing and uh i'm gonna sit back and just have a blast watching man let's go let's go Let's go. All right, brother. Appreciate you dropping in for round two here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Round two. Thanks, Wes. See you next time for round three. Let's go. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.